And uh, we're going to look at verses 13 through 29. Verses 13 through 29. Furthermore, the Lord... You know what? Back up, back up. Uh, I don't think this one's on the screen, so uh, sorry about that. Let's start in verse 12. Then the Lord said to me, Arise, go down quickly from here. For your people whom you have brought from Egypt have acted corruptly. They have turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them. They have made themselves a metal image. Furthermore, here we go, picking up in verse 13. The Lord said to me, I have seen this people and behold, it is a stubborn people. Let me alone that I may destroy them and blot out their name from under heaven. And I will make of you, he's talking to Moses, a nation mightier and greater than they. So I turned and came down from the mountain, and the mountain was burning with fire, and the two tablets of the covenant were in my hands. And I looked, and behold, you had sinned against the Lord your God. You had made yourselves a golden calf. You had turned aside quickly from the way that the Lord had commanded you. So I took hold of the two tablets and threw them out of my two hands and broke them before your eyes. Then I lay prostrate before the Lord as before four... Forty days and forty nights, I neither ate bread nor drank water because of all the sin that you had committed. In doing what was evil in the sight of the Lord, to provoke him to anger. For I was afraid of the anger and hot displeasure that the Lord bore against you, so that he was ready to destroy you. Listen to this. But the Lord listened to me that time also. And the Lord was so angry with Aaron that he was ready to destroy him. And I prayed for Aaron... Also at the same time, then I took the sinful thing, the calf that you had made and burned it with fire and crushed it, grinding it very small until it was as fine as dust. And I threw the dust into the brook that ran down from the mountain at Taborah also in Massah and at Kibroth Hadavah, you provoked the Lord to wrath. And when the Lord sent, sent you from Kedesh Barnea saying, go up and take possession of the land that I have given you. Then you rebelled against the commandment of the Lord, your God, and did not believe or obey his voice. You have been rebellious against the Lord from the day that I knew you. So I lay prostrate before the Lord for these 40 days and 40 nights because the Lord had said he would destroy you. And I prayed to the Lord, O Lord God, destroy not your people and your heritage whom you've redeemed through your greatness, whom you've brought out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Remember your servants, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Do not regard the stubbornness of this people or the wickedness of their sin, lest the land from which you brought us say, because the Lord was not able to bring them into the land that he promised them, and because he had hated them, he has brought them out to to put them to death in the wilderness. For they are your people and your heritage, whom you brought out by your great power and your outstretched arm. Father, we thank you for uh, your goodness this morning. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for uh, uh, our mediator, Jesus Christ, who stands between us and you. Father, thank you for that ministry. And Lord, I, I thank you for the ministry of intercessory prayer. God, I, I pray that we might um, see the power of, of prayer uh, in the lives of others. Uh, God, I pray that you would work in us this morning. Reveal truth to our eyes. Lord, show us your Show us your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. One of the things that uh, even after five kids we have not yet mastered as parents is when to take the kids to the doctor. That, that's a tough thing, isn't it? When do you take them to the doctor? It seems like you either hit that too early or too late. You know, it's really hard to get right in just, you know, the, the stride. Uh, too early, it's kind of an embarrassment. Have you, have you ever, has that ever happened to you? You know, you make the appointment, you wait there for two hours, you know, you get in the room, you know, the nurse comes in, takes the vials and everything, and then like two minutes before the doctor comes in, it's all of a sudden it's like, bing, 
you know, I am fine, you know, and they're just like running around the room, you know, and they're doing all kinds of stuff. The doctor comes in, they're like, hey, doc, you know, and the doctor looks him over and you're like, really, really, he's really sick. I mean, I'm telling you the truth, you know, and I always bothered my wife. She felt like, you know, and, you know, she almost wanted to say, look, act sick when we're in here, you know. Uh, so too early is bad, you know, and, but then too late is even worse, you know. Then it's like, you know, should we take him or not? It's always Friday. Should we take him or not? Well, I think they're going to be okay. I mean, you know, you know, Friday, 501, right? When the doctor's office closes, you know, all of a sudden, it's, you know, you know, there they are, you know, and you end up in the ER and, you know, why didn't we take him earlier? You know, what, what, what could have we had done? You know, I mean, it's just, it's just, it's a struggle. Too early, too late. You never know. Timing is crucial in that. Listen, timing is crucial in intercessory prayer. Kind of have the same thing, you know, when, 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 when people's spiritual lives, not their physical lives, but their spiritual lives are on the line. When, when do you pray? You know, when, when do you step in? When do you intervene? When do you panic? When do you say, man, this is a bad deal in my son or my daughter, or my wife, my husband, my friend, my church. You know, when, when is that? And kind of the rule we're going to learn here in just a minute is I don't think it's ever too early to pray intercessorily for, for our brothers and sisters in Christ. There's different angles or different kinds of prayer. Uh, you probably know this, but different ways that we pray. We, we pray giving praise to God. Uh, we, we should spend time at following the Lord's Prayer by, by just lifting up who He is, uh, what He's done. Uh, we should give thanksgiving to God. We should have times of confession. If you, if you come to our, uh, our Ask Prayer meetings, we had one last week, you know we kind of walk through this. We have time of praise. We have time of thanksgiving. We have a time of confession. Uh, it's good to confess your sins to the Lord, to say, God, search me out. Show me my sin. We pray for provision. And the Lord Jesus did that. Give us uh, this day our daily bread. We ask God, please meet our needs. Please take care of us. God, we need this in our life. We need this in our family. Uh, Those are good things to pray for. We pray against temptation. God, keep us out of sin. Uh, Keep us from falling away. And and then we pray for others, okay? There's there's that intercessory prayer where we pray for each other. We pray for each other's spiritual lives. We see this all through the New Testament. Paul does this all the time in almost all of his letters. He is praying for the souls, particularly the souls of the people people that he loves, uh, praying for their spiritual lives. And so what, what I'd like to focus on today, there's lots that we could focus on this passage. We're really going to kind of not, not so much focus on the idolatry, the sin of the people. We're really going to focus on Moses' response to their sin. Okay. So, so what do you do when, when people that you love are living in sin? That's a really hard thing, isn't it? Uh, many, many of you parents know that, man, it, it's a brutal thing to watch somebody you love self-destruct into sin. I mean, that's one of the most painful and helpless feelings. Okay. And, and Moses has, has a, has a front row view of this. All right. Uh, he's up on the mountain. Uh, he's getting the Ten Commandments. That's kind of the context of this passage. Verse 12 says, you know, he's up there. He's getting the stone tablets. And God kind of interrupts him and says, man, get down there quick. For the people you have brought from Egypt have acted corruptly. They've turned aside quickly. It's interesting. This You can read this story in Exodus 32 as well. And, and then we can read it in, in several chapters here in Deuteronomy. Every, every one of those uh, accounts of the story, it talks about how quickly. They use the word quickly over and over again. I mean, it's just almost like God is amazed. Like he's sitting up there and saying, really, you know, I just brought you out of the Red Sea, you know. What's it been, a a month, you know, and already you're making yourself a false god, you know, a month. Is that all the spiritual fortitude you had, perseverance? So, so man, they they just already, they've turned. Moses has been up on the mountain about 40 days, getting the Ten Commandments. During that 40 days, they completely fall off, you know, their spiritual um, bearings and and already they're, they're worshiping this, this false god. They've made themselves a golden calf. And, and, and so, so what does Moses do? 
Well, immediately Moses prays. Now, he, he breaks the Ten Commandments in front of him. And by the way, I think that's a symbolic thing. You know, it's like, look what you've done. Here, here's God's ten laws. You know what you've done? Crash, you know, you've broken them all. You know, I mean, it's kind of a, a visual, you know, you, you busted God's commands all up in, in, in your sin. Okay, so he does that. But then immediately Moses begins to pray. Okay, now th- that's significant for several, several reasons. He says he lays prostrate 40 days and 40 nights. He begins to pray. Notice this. There's nothing else going on in Israel except their sin. Okay? Now, now, what I mean by that, there's no plague yet. There's no, there's no wrath of God yet. There's no fire coming from heaven yet. There, there's, there's no uh, um, sickness. There's no poverty. There's no war. There's no calamity. In fact, they're having a party, okay? I mean, they're really living it up, you know? They, they've, they've made this golden calf, and they're just, they're just indulging themselves and partying and rising up and playing. It's this, you know, long 10-day, you know, Woodstock festival, okay? They, I mean, they're just, they're just having a ball. That, that's all that's happening in, in, in the Israelites. And yet that sin, okay, the, the sin of their idolatry drives Moses immediately to lay prostrate on the ground for 40 days and 40 nights, interceding for the people of Israel, okay? That's serious prayer. Um, And I'm so convicted just by Moses' example of how seriously he takes sin. I mean, how seriously do I take sin in my own life and and in the life of my family? Man, Moses drops to the ground and begins to plead for over a month straight, you know, just, just trying to bring down God's mercy on these people because of their sin. Now... The, the point I want to I drive home here at the beginning is from the outside, things look fine for the Israelites. Uh, I mean, there, there's nothing going on. There's, there's, no, there's no effects or consequences or curses of sin yet. But see, here's what Moses knows. Here's what Moses knows that we have to, we have to remember is that sin always brings consequences. Galatians chapter 6, verse 7 and 8. This is one of my favorite verses on, on this truth. It says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, is a farming Im- I- imagery. Whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will reap from the flesh corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Okay, and so, so Paul says, look, don't, don't kid yourself. Sin is going to end up with consequences. There's going to be consequences with sin. Nobody sins in their life. No, no, nobody lives in a pattern of rebellion against God, and that doesn't bring about anything. Okay, That just doesn't happen. And, and, and sometimes it takes a while. Sometimes it's not immediate. But there will always be consequences from sin. Sin always leads to corruption. That's what Paul says there in verse 8 of Galatians 6. He says, the one who sows to his flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. What is corruption? Corruption is going from better to worse. So sin in your life is always going to bring about corruption in your life. It's going to bring about going from better to worse. When we went through Galatians, the illustration we used was when you have leftovers and you put them in your refrigerator. What happens after a while? They corrupt, okay? They go from better to worse. They were really good when you first ate them, but man, after a month, I mean, it's putrid, okay? That's what sin does. It's what it will always do. And it's a dangerous thing, friends, to think that won't be the case in my life. It's a really dangerous thing to think that won't be the case in my kids' lives. You know, we're so apt to think, you know what, we can sin and nothing's really going to happen. Or, you know what, I know my kid's living in sin, but, you know, nothing's really going to happen. I know my husband's living in sin, but nothing's really going to happen. I know my wife's living in sin, but nothing's really going to be happening. I know that my church is sinning, but, you know, nothing's really going to come about from that. In fact, in Deuteronomy chapter 29, Moses says, man, you've got to watch out for that kind of spirit in your life and in your family and in your church. Here's what he says in, in, in Deuteronomy 29 verse 18. He says, beware lest there be anyone among you 
a man or a woman, a clan or a tribe, whose heart is turning away today from the Lord our God to go and serve the gods of those nations. Beware lest there be among you a root bearing poisonous and bitter fruit. One who, when he hears the words of this sworn covenant, he blesses himself in his heart saying, I shall be safe though I walk in the stubbornness of my heart. You hear what he's saying? He said, oh yeah, I heard what God said. You know, God said if we do this and this is what's going to happen. But you know what? Yeah, I'm okay. He whispers it, you know. He blesses himself. He says, I'm okay. Even though I walk in the stubbornness of my heart, nothing's going to happen to me. Nothing's going to happen to my family. Nothing's going to happen to my church. No, I've pulled one over on God. Man, don't, don't think we can do that. Don't think that we're too crafty or slick to be caught in the wrath of God. Be careful that you don't think that God is weak or that he doesn't mean what he says or that he's all talk or he's not faithful to his word. The Bible says over and over again, sin brings consequences. Sin separates us from God. Sin corrupts. It goes from better to worse. Those consequences don't happen immediately. We do know that. Galatians 6 Make, gives us the image of a farmer. You know, when a farmer plants a seed in the, in the ground, you know, it's not going to come up immediately, but it's going to come up. You know, I mean, and it's going to come up in what kind of seed it was. You're not going to plant weed and grapefruits come out of the ground. That's not going to happen. Whatever you plant, that's what's going to come up. It may take a little while, but that's what's going to come up. And, and so the Bible is driving home that sin will produce consequences in your life. And, and here's the deal. Usually we don't start praying until the effects hit. Isn't that true? Usually we don't, we don't start praying until the consequences hit. We don't start praying until the painful things trigger a response of prayer in our lives. In other words, a person might be living in sin for a year. You know, they might have this prideful, rebellious spirit in their hearts. And, and we know they're pulling away from church and they're pulling away from the Bible. And they're pulling away from, from the things of God. And nobody does anything until, wham, the hammer comes down and the consequences of sin. Their life begins to unravel. And then what? We're like, hey, we need to pray, you know? Well, yeah, we do need to pray, but we really needed to pray about a year ago. You know, that's when we needed to start praying. Folks, if there's sin in someone's life, they're in trouble. Now's the time to pray. But as long as they seem happy and healthy and prosperous, we tend to be not very concerned with their life. Even if they're prideful and bitter and covetous or malicious or lustful, Friends, whenever we see sin in someone's life, it's time to pray. Please, please, let's not wait until someone's marriage blows apart. Let's not wait until they they drop off into substance abuse. Let's not wait until their faith completely tanks and they're just away from the Lord. Let's learn from Moses. Moses comes down the mountain, you know. He sees the sin. He sees the golden calf. He sees them worshiping idols. What does he do? He throws down the Ten Commandments and he drops to his face. I mean, he, he, he begins to intercede for the people. He knows right away, this is bad. Man, this is destruction. Now, they're all saying, no, it's a party, Moses. The punch is over there. You know, the cake's over there. Hey, we got some dancing girls over here. We're having a great time. Everything's good, Moses. Where you been? Up on the mountain? What did God say? No, I mean, Moses sees the sin. He's automatically devastated. He's broken over the sin in their lives. And friends, I'm just convicted in my life, we're far too apt to wait. We're far too apt to say, you know what? That person's not suffering. They seem happy. Folks, if they're living in sin, it's time to pray. I'm especially concerned with just us as parents. Man, when we see a rebellious spirit in our child, and it just might be things like they're beginning to pull away from spiritual things. You know, 
They begin to hang out maybe with not the right kind of people. Um, they begin to maybe have a relationship with somebody that's just really not healthy. It's not God's plan. Maybe, maybe, maybe we caught them in a lie. You know, as, as parents, here's what we want to do. Just because we're scared. <laughs> we want to say, it's okay, it's okay, it's, it's all right, it's all right. It's okay, it's going to be okay. Breathe, take deep breaths, it's going to be fine. They're good, they get, they're getting good grades, they're healthy, doing, doing good in their sports. You know, whew, still sitting down at the table, it's all right, it's all right. No, it's not all right. <laughs> now, I'm not, I'm not saying we, you know, flip off the handle and do stupid things. But I'm saying now's the time we go to our closet. Now's the time we begin to pray. Now's the time we say, oh, Lord, I see something here. It's, it's sin. And God, I know where sin leads. I know where it always leads. I know we're not an exception to that. I know the Dirks family doesn't have like a free pass in heaven that says our sin doesn't lead to consequences. Our sin doesn't lead to, 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 to destruction or corruption. No, we, we don't have that pass. And so, Lord, I know that this sin is going to equal corruption. And so, God, we want to pray now. We want to pray now. Look at at verse 19. Verse 19 says, For I was afraid of the anger and hot displeasure that the Lord bore against you. Man, Moses gets it. Man, he he gets it. They think everything's great. Even Aaron. Aaron's just partying it up. You know, he's like, look at this calf that I made. You know, I mean, he, he, they just think it's all good. Moses is devastated. He, he, he fears for their, for their lives, for the anger and hot displeasure of the Lord. And so Moses intercedes on behalf of the people for their sin. And we're going to talk about how that's a picture of Jesus at the end of the sermon. So, so kind of hold on to that. Hold on to that. I believe that that's, that's probably the big thing here is, is that's a picture of what Jesus does for us every day, okay, on the cross and in his ministry in heaven. Right now, he's standing between us and God, interceding for us. He is our mediator. And we're, we're going to talk about that, okay? But, but, but I also want you to see, I also want you to see that this is a picture, I think, of our intercessory prayer for others, okay? So, what do we got here? Well, we've got sin, okay? Could be any sin. In this particular case, it's idolatry. Verse 20, and the Lord was angry with Aaron. Uh, Aaron's the one who, who made the golden calf. Uh, he fashioned the calf. You, you know what's kind of cool is that Moses doesn't just pray. You know, a lot of times people try to divide uh, Christians into people that pray and people that do something, okay? Hey, I, I'd like to be both. You know, I'd like to be a person who prays and a person who does something. Moses is both, okay? He immediately begins to pray, but he also does something about the idolatry. And, and I love what he does here. This is kind of a side point here, but, but he takes the calf, verse 21, says, I took the sinful thing, the calf that you had made, and I burned it with fire, and I crushed it, and I ground it very small until it was as fine as dust, and then I threw the dust in the brook that ran down from the mountain. You know, you're, you're going to see that very same thing over and over in the Old Testament. Uh, Jehu does that, uh, a bunch of other godly men. That, that's kind of how they deal with an idol, you know? I mean, you would think, hey, golden calf, come on, guys, you know, we don't worship a gold, this isn't our God, you know, you might think, take this thing go go throw it in the garage you know or go put it in a wagon we'll sell it when we get to the amalekite i mean no that's not how they deal with idolatry you know they burn the thing and then and then they they let that they let that kind of smolder and dry out and then they take what's left and they crush it into dust you know i mean they they crush it. i had to take a while you know crushing gold into dust they crush it into dust and they take the dust and they throw it in the river you know i mean i mean it's kind of a picture of hey this is not going to be a part of our lives that's a great way to deal with idolatry isn't it Whatever that thing is in your life that's taken the place of God, man, look how Moses deals with idolatry. But the main thing here that Moses does in this passage is he prays. Now, I want us to look at Moses' prayer. 
Okay? Um, Moses' prayer is, 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 I think, a model prayer in many ways. And, and we see the same kind of um, model in Nehemiah and in other great prayers, if that's even a word, uh, in the Old Testament. Um, this is kind of the way they prayed. And one of the things I want you to notice is they give reasons for why God should answer their prayer. Um, now, I, I know what you're thinking. Doesn't God know already? Well, yeah, I mean, he does. I don't think we need to convince God. I don't think you're ever going to give God a reason and he's going to say, you know what? I have never thought of that. That's brilliant. Thank you. You know, I think I'll do. That's not going to happen. Uh, don't think of it in that way. Okay. Don't think of it that way. But in the same way, I, I think, I think we are neglecting our prayer life if we do not give biblical reasons for why God should answer our prayer. I think if we just come to God and say, God, I want you to do this, you know, Amen. Okay, and that's, that's okay. I don't think there's a wrong prayer in that sense. But, but I think it's a much more effective way to pray with reasons, okay? And so notice, notice the reasons that, that Moses gives here uh, in praying for the people. Look at verse 26. That's kind of where we're going to start. Verse 26 says, And I pray to the Lord, O Lord God, destroy not your people. Okay, I'm going to emphasize a word here. Notice, I destroy not your people and your heritage, whom you have redeemed through your greatness, whom you brought out of Egypt with a mighty hand, okay? Now, first of all, Moses' prayer is very God-centered, okay? And what does what Moses remind God? See, it's kind of even funny to talk that way because when we think of reminding somebody, we think of like, you forgot, and so I need to tell you about it. That's not what we mean, but we mean just what, what, what we are saying back to God. He's saying back to God, God, you know, remember, this is your people, okay? The, the, you've done this. You brought, you initiated this. You started this. You know, this is your grace that has done this. You've brought them out of Egypt. It was by your power. We would not be here if it were not for you. God, this is your deal. This is for you, God. Okay. Moses reminds, he reminds him uh, that God, this is all for you. Okay. Now does God already know that? Of course, God already knows that. Okay. But don't look at your prayer as giving God new information. Look at your prayer as getting your heart in line with God. That, that, that's a great way to look at prayer is that much of my prayer is really about me getting on the same page as God, okay? Because that's how God feels about his people. These are his people. He did bring them out of Egypt. He was the one who redeemed them. This is his heritage. This is God's deal. God did initiate it all, okay? But God doesn't need to know that so much. But we need to know that and we need to bring that before God. Okay, and so as Moses prays, and you're going to see this throughout the pray, prayer, what, one of the things you're going to see is Moses is getting his heart in line with God's heart. Where's God's heart at? It's right here. This is how God feels. This is where the direction God's going. I want my heart to be right there as well, kind of, kind of in the same line, in the same direction as God as I pray. Okay, so number one, get your heart in line with God. This is all about God's God-centered. What's God's plan? What's God's purpose? That's where I want to be. Number two, Moses appeals to the promises of God. Notice him. Um, In verse uh, 27, he says, Remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Do not regard the stubbornness of of this people or the wickedness or their sin. Now, why does he bring up Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Well, go to chapter 9, just earlier in the chapter, verse 5. Verse 5 says, Not because of your righteousness, God's saying this to Israel, or the uprightness of your heart are you going in to possess their land, but because of the wickedness of these nations, the Lord your God is driving out from them before you, that he may confirm the word that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And so God tells them at the beginning of this chapter, hey, why are you getting the promised land? Let me tell you why you're not getting it. You're not getting it because you're such great people. You're not getting it because you're less sinners than anybody else. 
You're not getting it because in some way you're righteous where other people aren't. That's not why you're getting the promised land. You know why you're getting the promised land? You're getting the promised land because I'm punishing sin and it's for my glory. And I promised Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and I keep my word. Okay? God always keeps his word. And, and, and so, so, so Moses appeals to that. He appeals to the word of God. Folks, it's a powerful and effective way to pray, to weave the word of God himself into your prayers. One of the things you should try to do as you pray is you should try to get a biblical reason for your prayer. Okay, so if, if, if you're praying for your marriage, you know what you ought to do? You ought to look through the Bible and you got to get you ought to get God's own word. Okay, you ought to get God's own word and you ought to say, okay, God, I'm praying your own word. You know, Lord, I don't understand my wife. I have no clue what she wants from me. Lord, I, I, I'm just clueless as far. But Lord, in first Peter, you said live with your wives in an understanding way. You know, so God, you said it. God, you got to give me understanding into this woman. I mean, that's what you're doing. You're, you're getting God's own word and, and, and you're, you're, you're giving it back to him. Now, now, some of you think, well, is that right? You know, should I take God's own word? You know, what he said, his own promise and, and get, yes, you should. He, he wants you to do that, okay? He wants you to do that. He wants you to take his promises. He wants you to grab hold of them. He wants you to pray that back. He wants you to, that to be your anchor, that to be the place that you stand, the reason you're pleading and appealing, you're the, 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 the basis of your confidence. He wants that to be his own word, okay? And so, so take God's desires. Take what God has promised. Take what God is doing in the world according to the word of God and hold those truths up to God and pray them. That's what Moses is doing. He knew that God had promised to Abraham, God had promised to Isaac, God had promised to Jacob that he was going to make a great nation of their family and that through that nation, the Messiah was coming. And so Moses says, God, listen, you can't destroy Israel now. I mean, God could have. It was his just right as God. They had sinned. They'd broken the covenant. But, but Moses says, but God, remember what you promised. Remember, this is your plan. This, this is what you're doing. You see, I... I get frustrated a little bit when my kids do that to me. You know, when they take something that I promised and they hold it up to me. Okay. There's a little bit of frustration in that. But, but you know, even in me, I still want to honor that. I told my kids last week, their mom's been sick. And so I told them, I said, guys, you know, her, their mom used to take some swimming. I said, guys, I'm going to take you swimming this week. You know, we've been real busy. We've had camps and all this other stuff. I said, I'm going to take you swimming this week. Well, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, they all go by, you know, and, and just never happens. And, and so Friday, I think it was Avery or one of them said, Dad, weren't you going to take us swimming this week, you know? I'm like, ah, you know, yes, yes, yes. I said I would. I will. We're gonna, we will go swimming today. You know, so you guys be ready this afternoon, you know. You know, so I plan on getting out of the office at 2, you know, 3 goes by, 4 goes by, you know, 4.30, you know. I finally get out and I'm headed home. I'm like, you know, calling, get your suits on. We're going swimming, you know. And I call around. the wife, You know, Emma says, well, the water park's open until 7, you know. So we load everybody up in the car, you know, and I take them to the water park. And I pull up and I'm like, this is going to be great because there's like nobody there, you know. And there's a bunch of people leaving. I thought, well, everybody's leaving, you know. And, and there's nobody on the slides, no lines on the slides at all. I thought, man, oh, this is great. This is a great idea, you know. As we're going in, the ladies are going out. They close at five for rodeo week. I'm like, ah, you know. But here's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking, I promised. You know, I, I told them I would. And by golly, we we're going to find water somewhere. You know, if we had to drive to a lake, we were going to go swimming, you know. So we, we just drove around until we finally found some place that we could swim. And we did swim. But, but there was that in me that I wanted to keep my word. Even though it was frustrating, even though I was a little bit irritated. But you know why I was frustrated and irritated? A couple reasons. I'm a sinner. I'm weak, you know, 
I don't get all my stuff done like I should. (laughs) I procrastinate. I'm late on stuff. None of those things are true of God. None of them. And so so God has what's in me, which is, I'm going to keep my word, but yet he has none of the hindrances, okay? And so it's a good thing. Don't, don't think you're like your kids, you know, throwing it up. Hey, Dad, you know, failed again. You going to do this, you know? Don't, 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 think, don't think it's like that. It's like that in a good way where we're saying, God, you promised. And God's like, yes, I did. I'm so glad you found that in the word. I'm so glad you value that. Man, I'm so glad you want that. You want that? That's what I want. You're wanting what I want, son. Let's go. I mean, that's the way God sees that. And so so we we need to look into God's word. Say, okay, God, it's your plan to make us holy. It's right here in the Bible. Pray that. God, it's your plan to give us joy in Christ. Man, look at the book of Philippians. You know, you just see all these verses about joy, rejoicing always, rejoice. You know, man, take that to God. You know, those of you who are Eeyore Christians, those of you who are kind of live in this, this cloud, this funk, you need to take those verses to God and say, God, you, hey, you talked about joy. I'd like to have that, okay? God, give me joy. Give me joy in your word. God, give me joy in, in the things of God. Give me joy in Jesus. Take that to God. Tell him, God, you promised that I want it. He loves when you do that. He loves it. He's like, yeah, you bet, son, I did. This is why you should be joyful. Believe my word here. I'm going to help you. I'm going to give you power in the Holy Spirit. We know it's God's plan to reveal himself. We know it's God's plan to transform believers, to comfort the afflicted, to encourage the faint-hearted, to forgive the sins of those in Christ, to provide for his people, to give, give power for his work, and a thousand other promises from his word. You got to grab hold of those and pray them. Are, are, are you doing that? When you pray, are you praying the scriptures? Are, are, you, are you digging into the word of God and then lifting those things up to God? That's exactly how you ought to pray. James, or not James, John. Gospel of John chapter 15, verse 7 says, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. There's the power of prayer. Do you see Jesus not lying there? He's saying, here's powerful prayer. And how does powerful prayer come about? It's when you're abiding in me and my word is abiding in you. God's word was abiding in Moses. When Moses prays, what happens? he's, 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 He's speaking back God's truth. He's saying, God, you redeemed this people. God, you you brought them out. This is your heritage. You said that. You did this. God, you brought them out by your outstretched arm. That's your word. That's your truth. God, you promised Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God, that was your word. He's bringing up God's word to them, to God, rather than praying in this way. Here's here's the way a lot of people pray today. God, please, please do this because it's really inconvenient for me if you don't do this. God, if you don't solve this problem in my life, man, it's... I'm, this is inconvenient for me, God. I'm struggling here. God, if my life would be so much easier, God, if you would just do this. I mean, that's the spirit of a lot of people's prayers. It's, God, I want you to do this because it's inconvenient for me. God, I want you to do this because my life would be easier. We don't ever say this, but sometimes the implication is, God, if you would just take care of this, I could go home and watch CSI all night tonight, you know? I mean, God, if you would just do this, I, 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 wouldn't, I wouldn't have to be so worried. God, I wouldn't have to be struggling. And that, that's a very ineffective way to pray. Even if you're praying for the right things, you're praying in the wrong way. Folks, God wants to answer your prayers. He wants to. Matthew 7, 7, he, he, tell, he baits us. Come on, he's saying, come on. Ask and it'll be given to you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and it'll be opened to you. I mean, that, that's God saying, I want you to pray. And, and, and he wants us to look and search and, and, and dive into his word and bring forth those treasures saying, God, you told me I could have this. 
You know, it's kind of like, man, it's kind of like getting that call from the, the, the rich uncle's estate saying, man, you have this great inheritance, you know, come check it out. You know, and you, and you get this long list of things that you've been given. I mean, wouldn't you pour over that list? I mean, wouldn't, wouldn't you read every line of it, every word of it? And, 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 then, and then as you read something that's really cool, what would you do? You, you'd say, okay, I'd like to have that now, please. You know, I mean, you, you'd be reading it. There's to be the executor. It says here, 68 Mustang. Where would that be? And where are the keys, you know? And, and it says here, vacation home in, in Taos. You know, hey, I, I, I'd like to have that this weekend if I could. You know, how do I get to it? Where do I get the key? Are the utilities already turned on, you know? And, and right here, I mean, wouldn't you go through line by line? Say, I mean, this is my inheritance. This is what I've been promised. I'd, I'd like to have this now. That's what you ought to be doing with the Bible. God, this, this is what you've said is in your word. This, this, this is it. God, I want that now. And so, so Moses, Moses pleads for the people by grabbing hold of God's word and lifting it up to him. Thirdly, Moses appeals to God's glory. And, and not only to God's glory, but to the potential dishonor if the people perish. Notice verse 28, okay? So he's saying, God, please don't destroy this people. And then verse 28 says, lest the land from which you brought us say, because the Lord was not able to bring them into the land that he promised them, and because he hated them, he has brought them out to put them to death in the wilderness. For they are your people and your heritage. He goes right back to that. Whom you brought out by your great power and your outstretched arm. You you know how Moses appeals here? He says, God, what are people going to think if your people perish? What, what are the nations going to think? What are the lost people going to think, God, if, 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 you don't, if you don't deliver your people? Let me, let me show you another place where he prayed the exact same way. It's in Numbers. Numbers chapter 14, verses 13 through 16. But Moses said to the Lord, then the Egyptians will hear of it. So basically God's going to destroy the people. This happens a lot, actually. And Moses begins to pray. And here's what he says. The Egyptians are going to hear about it, God. For you brought up this people in your might from among them. And they will tell the inhabitants of this land. They've heard that you, O Lord, are in the midst of this people. For you, O Lord, are seen face to face. And your cloud stands over them. And you go before them in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Now, if you kill this people as one man, then the nations who have heard your fame will say it's because the Lord was not. Not able to bring this people into the land that he swore to give them, that he has killed them into the wilderness. Man, do you, do you see how Moses is praying? He's saying, God, if, if you let these people die now, the Egyptians, they're going to badmouth you. They're going to badmouth you, God. They're going to say you weren't able. God, they're going to say you're weak. Do you ever pray that way? Do we ever pray that way? Isn't, isn't that something? But... And, and don't think, again, don't think God, don't think Moses is threatening God, okay? Don't, don't go the wrong way with this, you know? He's not taunting God, saying, you know, they're going to laugh at you, you know? He's not saying that. He, he's appealing, he's appealing to God's glory. He, he's saying, God, this is for your glory. God, I want you to do this so that your name will be praised, so that your fame will be known. He's asking God to glorify his name. Folks, we ought to pray this. We ought to imitate this. Praying for the glory of God. Asking things. Why? Not for our convenience. Not because it's, it's for us, but for God's glory. That's the purpose we're created. That's the reason all... I mean, just get that one thing through our heads. 
That's, that's why we exist. 1 Corinthians 10, 31. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. I mean, that, that's why we're created. The glory of God is the best thing for the world. The glory of God is, is like getting everything back online. It's, it's like back in sync, tuning everything back up. It, it, it's best for us. It's best for the world. The glory of God is, is what satisfies. It's what brings joy. It's what brings peace. But the glory, the goal of most people, honestly, I think... And I'm just, maybe I don't know this, I guess, but I know this from my own heart. I am so tempted to pray for things for my glory. God, I I want you to work this out, God, so I don't look bad. And God, I want you to work this out, God, so our family doesn't look bad. And God, I want you to work this out so so that, you know, it'll be good for us. That's saying, God, I want you to give me glory. You know, whenever I'm glorified, whenever, whenever my goal is my own glory, to magnify me, to exalt me, to position me for honor and praise, that's never a good thing. You know what happens then? People get hurt and relationships are strained and sin abounds. But when God is glorified, everything is like it's supposed to be. So, so it's, it's Moses' heart that God be glorified, that God be lifted up. He's demonstrating that he wants the glory of God above all. You know, it's even actually to Moses' advantage that God goes ahead and kills the people. Look in verse 14 of chapter 9. God says, let me alone that I may destroy them and blot out their name from under heaven. And I'll make of you a nation mightier and greater than they. You see what he says to Moses? He says, man, just let me alone, Moses. Let, let me just, I'm tired of these folks. Let me, let me put them to death. And, and hey, Moses, I, I'm not, I don't lack any power. I'll just make a great nation of you. But Moses says, no, no. Why? Because that would not glorify you, God. You need to redeem this people so that the nations will praise you so that there won't be anybody that speaks negatively of you. Folks, that's the goal of intercessory prayer is to get our heart lined up with God's heart. Our passions lined up with God's passions. Prayer is most effective when we are praying fervently, wanting genuinely, pleading earnestly for what God wants. Man, I want this, guys. I want this. I want, I want this for my kids. I, I want to pray this way. Um, I, I was so convicted this week in just reading this about how, how unfervently I pray often. Uh, my wife's been, been ill. I mean, I was just so convicted yesterday. I thought, man, I don't pray for my wife enough. <laughs> and, and so I just went overboard yesterday. Well, maybe it's not, it's not over. How can you go overboard? That's a stupid statement. Scratch that. Okay. I, but I, I hope to keep this up. But about every, about every two hours, she was in bed. And I, would, I would just go in and I'd just pray for her. You take her by her hand. Just pray for her spiritual life and her, her physical life and wellness and just good, you know, our family. Just pray, you know. Go back out and work a little more. Come back out and two hours later, take care and pray again, you know. I think she thought that I was thinking she was dying or something. You know, I said, what's got into it? It wasn't that. I just, I, I just really see why don't I avail myself of this. I mean, I mean, it's, it's the first thing on Moses' mind. There's sin. There's sin in my family. There's pride in my kids. There's rebellion. They, 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 got, they got critical minds. They got critical spirits. I mean, the first thing Moses does is to pray. It's always the right answer, no matter what the problem. All right, let's get to the big thing. Just real quick. We're not, I think you'll get this. Moses, in this passage is a picture of Jesus today, okay? 
It's interesting, if we go into Deuteronomy chapter 18, Moses kind of gives a, a glimpse of what's to come. In verse 15, he says, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is him you shall listen. That prophet like me, that's Jesus. Okay, And, and how is Jesus like Moses? Well, Jesus is like Moses in, in this particular way, in that he stands between God and the people. Okay, so here's what you've got in Deuteronomy chapter 9. You've got a sinful people. Okay, you've got a people that have rebelled against God. You've got a people that have transgressed God's rules. They've broken all his commandments. Those pieces of stone all over the ground, that's, a, that's an image of what the people have done to God's commands. And you've got Moses. You've got the wrath of God coming down upon him. I almost think it's like, it's like it leaves heaven already, you know. It's like here it comes. You know, the wrath of God is coming. They've sinned. They, they need to be destroyed. It's the right thing for them to be destroyed. They've broken all of God's commands. They've broken this covenant. God's made this covenant and they've, they've not kept their end and the wrath of God is coming. And you got Moses stepping in between, you know, and lifting up God's glory and lifting up God's promises and lifting up God's word and pleading on behalf of the people. And you got that wrath stopping, you know, and God holding it back because of what Moses has stepped in and done. That's a picture of the ministry of Jesus right now today. Jesus dies on the cross. He pays the penalty for our sin. And now we're living. And now we're sinners. And the wrath of God is coming. I mean, it's coming on us. I mean, it's headed. It's left heaven. And it's just only a matter of time before it hits us. And we're completely destroyed. And Jesus steps in between us and God. And he takes the wrath of God on our behalf. And you know what? The Bible says that he has an intercessory ministry now. Even now, Jesus pleads, lifts up the blood of Christ before the Father as we sin in heaven. He stands before us. He stands before God. He is our mediator. First Timothy chapter 2 says this about Christ. First Timothy chapter 2 verse 5. It says, for there is one God and there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. Jesus is our mediator. He stands between us and God. No one else can fill that place. No one else can do that sufficiently. But, but we ought to have a ministry with our brothers and sisters of prayer. I'm not saying we take Jesus' place. We can't do that. But, but we can plead on behalf of our brothers and sisters, on behalf of our children, on behalf of our spouse, on behalf of our family. We ought to have a ministry of pleading for their souls, praying for their souls, praying well for their souls. And we ought to do that with the Word of God. We, we ought to, every time we see something in the Bible that's good, that we're supposed to have, we ought to open up our Bibles and we ought to say, Okay, God, you said here, you know, our, our, our words are supposed to be transformed. Right here in Ephesians 4, uh, verse 29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those here. God, I pray for my kids. I pray for my wife. God, I pray that every word that comes out of their mouth would, would build up, that it would edify. God, what else do we see in the Bible here? Well, we see that, uh, that uh, we are chosen. We have an inheritance. This is in Ephesians 1. I just haven't turned to Ephesians. You know, God... You, you told us that we have this inheritance. God, I pray that my wife, I pray that my kids would know the inheritance they have in Christ. I pray that they would not feel poor, that they would not feel they don't have what they need, that they would see that they have everything they need in Christ. What else we got here? That's, that's how we pray. 
We, we, we take the truths and we lift them up to God and we intercede. Let's pray together. Father, I, I ask you, God, to, to give us a heart for intercessory prayer. God, I just know this one thing, God, that this is always the right answer. Um, God, I think I could preach this sermon. We could look at this text at any time, at any point in the, the history of our church or the, in any time in our lifetime. And it would always be the right answer. Uh, God, we need to pray this way. We need to pray for each other. We need to pray for our kids and our family and our spouse and our friends. And God, I pray that, that the reality of sin and the consequences it brings would be real. God, don't let us be like that poisonous root that says we think we can live in sin and nothing happen. God, don't, don't let that be us. Father, show us the, the seriousness of sin. And God, give us grace to pray. And to call for your mercy and to call for your grace and to call for your power. Lord, that it would trigger that in the lives of those we love. Father, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.